right, if you will, turn in your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11. <clears throat> Emma keeps me full of stories to tell. I'll tell you a quick one from yesterday. She's been uh, taking piano lessons, so um, she's only, I don't know, a couple months into it, but she, it's really funny. She, so when she practices the piano, she has to count you know, what finger she's using, and then sometimes she's counting the actual timing. But she sings it, the song, those numbers with the melody of the song. So <laughs> it's, it's really funny. But, and then she has to do the forte in the piano and all that. But yesterday she, was, she forgot to practice the piano on Saturday. They had a lot going on. So um, yesterday, I mean Friday. So yesterday Sarah said, well, you have to go through all your songs twice. That, then we'll, that'll make up for it. So she's going through all her songs. And I was sitting there <laughs> in the living room. And I'm watching her play the piano, and she's just chomping on this gum, arr, arr, you know, while she's practicing. Finally, so that she gets done, I said, how many pieces of gum do you have in your mouth? And this guilty look, just like, oh. And, I, and, and she didn't answer. I said, how many gum pieces are in your mouth? How many? Four. <laughs> she had a lot of four pieces of gum. And uh, so normally, I guess, the way it goes, Sarah let her buy a pack of gum. And she's allowed to have one a day usually, you know, she'll ask for gum, she'll say, yeah, but only one. Well, this time she asked and Sarah didn't say only one, so she just kept on eating them. She ended up with four pieces, so she said, all right, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you don't get any gum. So, anyway, always something with them. Second Samuel chapter 11 and verses 1 through 5. We're on our eighth, eighth lesson here and uh, going through the life of David. And uh, hopefully you've been learning a lot. I know when you go through a series like this, there's a lot to remember, but hopefully there's a few things that you've kind of, that have kind of stuck in your head. And that's the goal here. You know, we don't, there's a hundred and, well, there's 270 pages in this book, uh, 13 lessons long. You know, I don't, there's a lot of little stuff that's just kind of, you know, we glaze over and go on, but there are some things that are really important that we need to remember. And that's the goal. Uh, here with this series, maybe one or two things from each lesson that we do just to keep in the back of your mind as you go through uh, your Christian life. But 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1 through 5, we're going to talk about a little bit about David and Bathsheba. Now, that's probably the most, second uh, best thing David is known for, David and Goliath, and then everybody knows the st story of David and Bathsheba. Um, we're not going to focus but so much on that particular story, but we are going to take some lessons about Sin and the, and the name of this lesson is Dare to Stay Clean. Um, David fought a lot of giants in his life, and so do we. Um, obviously, David had literal giants that he had to fight. Um, we have <clears throat> a lot more figurative giants, but we have giants in our lives that we, we've got to fight. We've talked about daring to be friends you know, with, with other people. That's a giant sometimes, especially if you're not super outgoing. We've got to make ourselves do it. Uh, today we're going to talk about daring to stay clean, facing the giant of impurity. What, how can we be pure as we go through our lives, but how uh, also can we uh, keep from sin? There's a lot of things that Christians do that we just give up on. We just, eh, it's not worth fighting it. So we're going to talk about that today. 2 Samuel chapter 11, we'll read verses 1 through 5, and then we'll get into... Our lesson, Second Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. And it came to pass, after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him, 
and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah, but David tarried still at Jerusalem. And it came to pass in an even, evening tide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her, and she came in unto him and lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanness, and she returned unto her house. And the woman conceived and sent and told David and said, I am with child. Um, <clears throat> I'll make a statement real quick, and then we'll pray and get into the lesson. But uh, often, very often, otherwise we wouldn't do it, but very often sin starts off very innocently. Uh, it's something that maybe we uh, are drawn to a little bit, we make a, but then we make a bad decision, and one bad decision leads to another, and the next thing you know, uh, maybe the terms we would use, is you're backslidden way beyond what you ever thought you could go, and that's kind of what happens to David here. There's nothing wrong with sitting on the roof of his palace. It's obviously springtime, probably beautiful weather. He's sitting out there, and we'll get into this in the lesson, but when he looks down and sees Bathsheba, he should have immediately turned and gone back to what he was doing. Actually, he was in the wrong spot anyways. He was supposed to be with uh, his army. It says at the time when kings went to battle, David didn't go. And we'll talk about that in a little bit too. But uh, David's innocent look turned into a lot more. And he fights or he deals with the consequences of this particular sin the rest of his life. The rest of his life. And we'll look at that in this lesson. Well, let's pray and then we'll get into it. Father, I thank you for this day you've given us. I thank you for the opportunity we have to gather around your word. God, I thank you for your people, God, their faithfulness. God, I thank you for everyone that's here uh, for the Sunday school hour. I pray that you bless them for that. Uh, God, there's uh, a lot of things we could be doing instead. There's a lot that uh, occupies our minds and our time throughout the week. God, I thank you that your people have shown up here this morning to hear from you, and I pray that as I bring this lesson, you'd give me the words to say. And then as we uh, hear from our pastor here in the next hour, that you would, uh, God, just work in our hearts. Give him the message that you have for him that we need. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I wrote this down, uh, but I think there is a reason that Christians uh, have come to have such little effect in this world. And we've talked about this a lot because uh, David, uh, like with David and Jonathan, and, and um, but anyway, Christians in this world have come to have such little effect. And, and I think there's a reason for that. Part of the reason is because uh, there used to be a time when people liked to come to church and hear a pastor preach on sin and preach on, you know, even if it was something they were dealing with, they liked to come and hear, what is the answer to this thing I'm dealing with? What do I need to do? And, and uh, they like to have their toes stepped on, you know, you'd, after the service, you'd hear people talking about it. Man, that was that was a good sermon, even when it was on sin. Pastors have stopped somewhat, stopped preaching on that. They're, they want to preach, you know, encouraging messages. We need encouraging messages, but we don't only need encouragement. Sometimes we need to hear, you're wrong. Uh, and you'll, you'll, we'll see that in this lesson. Nathan comes to David and he says, thou art the man. You're the one that's in sin. You need to change. And David has a perfect reaction to that. Uh, when the preacher comes to him and, and preaches at him, he has a perfect reaction to it. He says, you're right, I'm in sin. I've, I'm the one that's done wrong. And he turns around and gets his, his sin right. 
But it's not all the blame is not to lay on the pastors either, because uh, sometimes when the pastor does preach on sin, we get so mad about it that we don't allow him to preach on sin. And I don't mean just our pastor. I'm saying in churches in general is, you know, oh, he's going to call me out in front of everybody. Everybody knows that I have that issue. I'm leaving. I'll go to another church. We don't allow the pastor to preach on sin because we put up our guards so hard instead of changing the pastors and the preachers are not uh, preaching their opinion most of the time. They're preaching God's word. And if, if he, it is his job, the Bible says, for the pastor to get up, raise his voice like a trumpet, and tell you what God's word says. And if your life doesn't match up with God's word, or my life doesn't match up with God's word, we change our life. We don't get mad at the pastor and leave or, you know, whatever else. So... I think that's a, a big problem with why Christians so often, and, and I see it, you know, I'll, I'll see people at work that are Christians or they go to church or whatever. They're no different than the rest of the world. And I think a lot of that is because it's not being preached in the pulpits because the people aren't giving the pastors that freedom to preach on that. That doesn't take away the responsibility from the pastors to preach against sin, but it makes their job awful tough when we won't accept uh, when they do preach on it. So anyway, that's just a little side note. But uh, the world we live in today is so carnally minded. And I was just talking to my wife about this yesterday. But the the uh, the path everybody follows is if it feels good, do it. If if it feels good to uh, pleasure wise, or if it feels like the right thing to do, do it. Don't go ask any advice. Don't uh, see what what mistakes people have made in the past and learn from them. No, just go do whatever you feel. It's a very carnally minded uh, mentality. And Christians are, are commanded to not live that way. We don't live the way the world does just because that's what everybody else is doing. We are quite literally uh, fish swimming upstream against uh, the world. And God has given us some very... You know, obviously with this lesson, God has given us some some uh, beautiful things in our lives. One of those is the marriage relationship, but it has boundaries. It has to have boundaries or it not only becomes not beautiful anymore, it becomes a sin against God. And uh, the Bible talks about that all over the place, but it's the same way with, with anything. There has to be boundaries. And, and Pastor preached a whole lesson on this or message on this one time. Uh, about the staying in the boundaries, not just of marriage, but God has rules for us and laws that we should follow, not because he hates us and, and just wants to, you know, you will follow my rules. He has rules so that we can live the best life he has for us. And the simple uh, illustration of this is a football game. A football game is chaos, no fun to watch, no fun to play if there aren't boundaries. Boundaries in the football game and rules are what makes football what football is. If you can run out of bounds into the stands and take a pass and come back in, how, how can you play a football game like that? And it's the same way with our Christian lives. You cannot live a good Christian life outside of those rules that God has given us. And again, it's not rules because God wants to confine us. He doesn't want us to see what everybody, all the fun everybody else is having in the world. It's because he knows the end of most of those pleasures that everybody else is indulging in. And it's because, 
And we'll talk about this a little bit later, but the Bible talks about there is pleasure in sin. There is for a season. So the world may look like they're having a great time. Or a Christian may look like he's gone outside of the will of God and he's having a great time for a season. And then we have to pay the consequences. And that's what God is trying to keep us from. Uh, Pastor Talk says this fairly often, but I think it comes from Pastor Brothers. But we can choose the sin, but we don't get to choose the consequences. And that's what David did here. David chose the sin. And for the rest of his life, he, he had to pay those consequences. I think if David had known the consequence and known it was only going to last for a year, he probably would have still done what he did. David didn't get to choose the consequences of a life of um, children being killed and the chaos in his family. And I don't want to get ahead of myself. We'll get to that. But... David's biggest problem here, and we're going to talk about the sins of omission and commission. We all know what those are. It's not, we're not going to spend tons of time on it. But David's first problem here is a sin of omission. Verse 1 in chapter 11, It came to pass after the year was expired at the time when kings go forth to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David's tarried still at Jerusalem. This is a sin of omission. Uh, it's interesting that there was a time when the kings would be like, all right, we're all going to go kill each other. You know, this is a scheduled time when we go do this. But I, I did a little bit of research on it. And I, I think the reason was it was cold. It was snowy. It was hard to maneuver, you know, horses. And, and um, uh, they didn't have cannons and stuff like that. But they would have had like, you know, the big... Um, catapults. All I could think of was gauntlet, and I knew that was wrong. The big catapults and stuff like that, it would have moved those into place and everything else. So throughout the winter season, they didn't, they didn't fight each other. They didn't bother going to battle and freezing to death and having to deal with trying to keep their uh, armies warm and all the rest of that. But in the springtime, when the kings would go forth to battle, it was a, it was a scheduled time. And for whatever reason, this year, David decides not to go. Um, we see that at the end of verse 1, they destroyed the children of Ammon, Ammon and besieged Rabbah. Maybe David knew they were going to uh, put a siege on this uh, other nation or, or whatever it was. He didn't want to stay out there that long. It's very likely David was around 50 years old at this time. He may have just been like, you know what, I've got great generals. They can take care of it. It's not going to be a difficult battle. For whatever reason, David decides to stay home. And that... Uh, is his sin of omission. Uh, I think often Christians do that. We get tired uh, or we have something else we want to do or we want to let somebody else do it and we decide, you know what, today I'm not going to go soul winning or today I'm, not, I'm just going to skip church. It's only one service. They're not going to miss me. Uh, and in a, small, in a church this small, we do miss you. Uh, uh, not just notice, we notice you're gone. But we missed that fellowship. and, and uh, But it's a sin of omission. Sometimes it's just as bad as the sin of commission. Um, if David had been at war, this would not have happened. Uh, he would never have been in the situation he was in up on the, the roof of his palace. Um, and I don't want to belabor this point, but the sin of omission often uh, gets Christians into a lot of trouble. Something also as simple as not disciplining our children when they need it is a sin of omission. And, and sometimes 
they pay the consequences of our sins of omission. When they grow up and they, you know, their, their character is not what it should be or they don't know how to uh, obey, they don't know how to listen to you, so then that in turn makes them, they don't know how to listen to God, they don't know how to obey uh, their pastor, they don't know how to um, do what they should do because it was easier for me to sit on my, on my couch and not get up when they needed that correction. That's a sin of omission. It's a, it seems simple, but it's what they need, and I don't do it. Sin of omission. Um, James chapter 4, verse 17 says, Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. You can't just sit idly by in a bubble and say, You know what? I'm not going to sin, and so I'm just going to... I'm not going to go out into the world. I'm not going to put myself in any of those situations. Well, sometimes the Bible does talk about we need to be in the world, but not of the world. We have to go out, and that doesn't just mean to work uh, or to the grocery store. We need to be out in the world shining our Christian lights in the world, but not be uh, dirtied by the world. And that's what, that's what it's talking about. So it says... Uh, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Pastor has been preaching, uh, and, and uh, Brother Sam Kim just preached on this last uh, week when he was here Sunday night, uh, about going. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. It's, it's a very typical thing for a missionary to preach on, but it's, it's a command, and if we're not doing it, it's a sin of omission. Um, it, it, is, it makes me wonder sometimes, you know, um, not just people we know if we don't witness to them or, or whatever that their blood's going to be on our hands, but sometimes I think that God has people for us to witness to in the grocery store or, or when we're out knocking on doors or just somebody that we've come in contact with. We may not know them, but if the Holy Spirit leads us to, to talk to them or give a track to them or whatever he's leading us to do and we don't do it, that sin of omission I think even though we may never ever have known that person, their blood may be on our hands. It may have been the one chance God was going to give them to hear the gospel, and we didn't do it. Uh, that sin of omission um, in telling others about Jesus Christ is, is a big deal. So uh, we have the same thing with uh, the, the story of the Good Samaritan with the priest and the Levite when they walked to the other side of the road and, and passed him. Those are sins of omission. Those guys could very easily have come over there and helped him. Um, and, and I think sometimes we look at that and say, well, that was their culture. You know, what? They didn't do anything wrong. They just didn't help. They did do something wrong. That's, that's the sin of omission that we're talking about. And then there are the sins of commission in verses 2 through 5, where David actually goes out and commits this sin with Bathsheba. Uh, James chapter 1 verse 14 and 15 says, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin when it is finished bringeth forth death. David didn't have this verse when he was alive, but this is, the, this is exactly what happened with David. Uh, he saw Bathsheba, and as I mentioned before, he should have immediately turned away and gone, gone about his day. But he didn't. He let that, in verse 14, every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. So he was tempted. He allowed his, his lust uh, to entice him into the sin. And then verse 15, he allowed that lust to conceive and bring forth sin. And then the last part of that verse is what David deals with the rest of his life. Sin 
when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Um, I think sometimes, uh, sometimes we think that if we're doing, if we're involved in something that nobody else knows about, it's not that big a deal. Sure, I'll have to deal with the consequences, but nobody else is going to have to deal with this. Um, and David learned the hard way. A lot of people were affected because of what he did. And it's not just family. Sometimes it's in our churches. Um, sin is hidden and hidden and hidden. Um, think about, and I'm not going to mention any names, but think about pastors or leaders in ministry that you know that have, that have gotten into this situation. The sin is hidden and hidden and hidden. But eventually, that sin comes out and it's exposed for all the public to see. Uh, I, was, I said I wasn't going to mention any names, but I will mention one name. Think about Jer Jerry Falwell, Jr. I mean, the more they dig up on him and all the rest of that, the more they find. But you cannot hide that sin forever. And now there's a lot of people affected because of that. But uh, sometimes Christians think that we get a free pass from the consequences of sin because we're Christians. And, and when, in fact, the opposite is true. Uh, sometimes God judges us harder because we're Christians and we know better. But Luke chapter 12, go ahead and turn there quickly with me. Luke chapter 12, um, verse 47. God judges us harder because we bring shame to God's name. Uh, we call ourselves Christians and then in, in, the, in front of everybody we fall and we bring a blot on God's name. Uh, Luke chapter 12, verse 47 and 48. Uh, gives us exactly what I'm talking about here, that God judges the Christian even harder. Verse 47, And that servant which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. That's the Christian. You knew the Lord's will and you didn't do it. You'll be beaten with many stripes or corrected harshly. Verse 48, But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. And then it says, For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall be much required. And to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. We've sat in, in hundreds, if not thousands, of church services, heard hundreds, if not thousands, of messages. That verse is saying, We know better. We will be corrected harshly, because to whom much is given, much is required. Um, and then we're going to look, we're going to move on and look at this defilement that, com <clears throat> that comes with sin. Um, sin is ugly. Uh, every, every advertisement you see on the TV or hear on the radio or whatever else promoting alcohol or uh, promoting uh, gambling or whatever sin you, you, you can think of that gets promoted, um, it makes it look so glamorous, makes it look like everybody's having such a good time. When the fact is, Sin is ugly. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 and 8 says this. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life after everlasting. And, and uh, there's no better um, example of this than when a Christian sins, this sowing and reaping. And, and the inverse is also true, too, when a, when a Christian gives his life and, and service and money and all the rest to God, he also reaps good things. 
Uh, and it says that in verse 8. He that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. Robert Murray McShane uh, said this. He was a, a Scottish pastor that saw uh, some revivals in his time. It's, he says, in great measure, according to the purity and perfections of the instrument, will be the success. It is not the great talents God blesses so much as the great likeness to Jesus. A holy minister is an awful weapon in the hand of God. Uh, but God's standards are high. Second Samuel chapter 12, you should be fairly close unless you didn't keep your finger in there, but Second Samuel chapter 12, uh, the next chapter over from where we started this morning, in verse 7, uh, shows these standards that, that God holds for his people. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 7, And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. This is, remember, when, when Nathan came to David and he gives him this story about the rich man that had all these sheep and this poor man had one little sheep. And, uh, and the rich man came and took that sheep and, and, uh, and uh, cooked it for his company that came to visit him. And David is furious. He says, that man's going to repay fourfold. Who is it? And that's where verse 7 comes in. Nathan said to him, thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul, and I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives into thy bosom, and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if, it, if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. He's saying, if that wasn't enough, I've given you so much more than that. In verse 9, Wherefore hast thou despised the commandments of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and hast taken his wife to be thy wife, and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house, because thou hast despised me, and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house, and I will take thy wives before thine eyes, and give them unto thy neighbor, and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of this son. For thou didst it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the Son. Perfect example, and it's not just an example. That's what God says is going to happen when we sin. Um, in verse 9, he says, Be, uh, Thou hast despised the commandment of the Lord. God's standards that he holds his, his children to are high, but the reward for holding to those standards is it's a great reward too. But... Um, David didn't just sin against himself. He didn't just sin against Israel. He despised the commandments of the Lord. And those commandments were the, the Ten Commandments that God had given the children of Israel. Uh, Thou shalt not commit adultery. It's not a, it's not a um, recommendation. Thou shalt not commit adultery. And that's what Brother John preached on a few weeks ago. That word shall in the Bible. Those are commands that you will not break. And if you do, there'll be dire consequences. Um, Proverbs 22, verse 3 says, A prudent man foreseeth evil and hideth himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. Um, to David's credit, he did repent fairly quickly of this sin and got it right, and he moved on in his Christian life. But uh, he had a lot of consequences to pay. And I'm, and I'm running out of time, so I'll, I'll move through this quickly. And I'll just mention this. God's vessels, the ones he wants to use, need to be holy. First uh, Thessalonians 4, chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 3. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, being set apart, that you should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification 
and honor. Um, it's important that we are clean vessels, not just to show off in church or not just to say, I'm, I'm clean, I'm, what, I'm doing everything I know I should do. Uh, not Also, not just to please God, even though that should be a, a, a great motivation for us. We should be clean so that God can use us. Pastor says this all the time. God doesn't save us just so that we can go to heaven. He saves us so that we can be used by him. But he cannot use a dirty vessel. Um, I, I was thinking about this as I, uh, as I was studying last night a little bit more. Um, sometimes in the middle of summer, it's 95 degrees outside, and, and I'll go out and mow the grass and do a little bit of work out in the yard. And I come in the back, in the back of our house, we have French doors. So you come in those doors, and you turn left and go straight into the kitchen. I'm going for a glass of water when I come out of the, out of the backyard when I'm sweating and I'm hot, right? Um, I can go to, we have the filtration system called the Berkey filter. I can go there and I can get a glass of water. I can go to the refrigerator and get a bottle of water. But I pass up some water on the way to the refrigerator that I could drink. But I pass it up because as soon as you walk in the back door, there's a dog bowl there. And it's got clean water in it. It's, it's fresh water, but I pass it up because of the vessel that it's in, right? The bowl. I'm not drinking out of that bowl. It's dirty. Uh, and that's kind of how we are as Christians. Sometimes God wants to use us so bad. He, he needs a servant. He needs somebody to go take care of this work that he's got. But he passes us up because we're a dirty vessel. And he goes to the next one and says, all right, they're clean. They're ready to be used. And we can't be used. It's not just that, man, God needs us so bad and he can't use us. He wants to use us so that we get the rewards that he gives to those he uses. But he has to pass up on us and he doesn't get to give us the rewards he wants to give us because we're a dirty vessel. It's important uh, to make sure that we're staying clean so that we can be used. Uh, and then lastly, we're going to look at the consequences of David's sin. And this is, uh, we'll just go through this quickly and be done. Um, there are consequences to ourselves. 2 Samuel chapter 11, if you're still there, look at verse 27. Consequences to ourself. 2 Samuel eleven twenty-seven. And when the morning was past, M-O-U-R-N, morning, David is mourning this child that is sick. When the morning was past, David sent and fetched her to his house, and she became his wife and bare him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Um, it displeased the Lord. And in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 10, now, there, now therefore, so this is the sin that David did against himself. Now therefore, the sword shall never depart from thine house, because thou hast despised me and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. So this is the, this is the promise. These are the consequences coming for you, David. Um, but then there are consequences to others. So the consequences that David feels other people's lives are taken. David feels that, but other people are brought into this as well. And we're going to look at those really quickly. There's three or four of them. Um, 2 Samuel eleven seventeen. And the men of the city went out and fought with Joab. And there fell some of the people of the servants of David. And Uriah the Hittite died also. So Uriah is killed. Remember, David told his general, pull everybody back and leave Uriah out there by himself. Because David wanted him to die so that he, it could look like an accident and he could take Bathsheba as his wife. So Uriah dies because of David's sin. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 18. 
It came to pass on the seventh day that the child died, and the servants feared to tell David the child was dead. For they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spake unto him, and he wouldn't hearken unto our voice. How will he then vex himself if we tell them the child is dead? So this child that he had with Bathsheba dies. That's, that's two people dead because of David's sin. Um, and then we, then we go on and we see that Bathsheba, well, Bathsheba is affected. She lost this husband of her youth, Uriah. She loses her husband and she also lost her child. So uh, David lost that child, but that was her child as well uh, that she loses. And then we see the consequence with Amnon and Tamar. Uh, the wicked sin that Amnon does against Tamar, um, nobody dies there, but Tamar is, it feels that affect the rest of her life. And then after that, so Tamar is Absalom's sister. Amnon is Tamar's half-brother, half but Absalom and Tamar are brother and sister. Absalom hears about it for two years, the Bible says. He hates Tamar. He won't talk, I mean, uh, Amnon. He won't talk to him. He won't have anything to do with him. Two years, finally, he, he has a meeting, has a, a reunion, basically, with all the sons of the king, and he kills Amnon. So that's three people dead because of David's sin. Then Absalom, um, after he kills Amnon, he's, he's fleeing, right? And he ends up with his hair caught in the tree, and he dies. That's four people dead because of David's sin. And before that, Absalom tries to take over uh, the kingdom from David. Just absolute chaos from that time forward in David's family. Now, his kingdom was still uh, fairly, fairly well taken care of, and he still loved God, but there's just one thing after another because of this sin that David uh, committed. In Numbers chapter 32, verse 23, we know this verse, but we'll close with this. The end of that verse says, Be sure your sin will find you out. Uh, we can keep it secret for a long time. We can keep it hidden from even the closest uh, uh, of our friends, even, even our own spouses or our families. We can keep it hidden. The Bible says, be sure your sin will find you out. And we have to keep that in mind. It's not something that should put, oh, that should make us afraid that we're going to get found out. It should keep us clean and, and keep us from sinning. Um, because it dis we dis when we sin, it is despising the commandments of the Lord. That's what um, Nathan told David. So let's keep ourselves clean from any sin. It's not just um, sexual sins, not just those impurities. Anything. Omission, commission, uh, raising our kids when we don't feel like it sometimes. We need to make sure that we're staying consistent uh, in living for God. And that example I used about the vessel, uh, I think so often we get passed up because we're keeping those little sins that, man, I just can't get it in. It's not that big a deal. It is a big deal to God. And if that vessel's not clean, he can't use us. And he wants to. He wants to give us rewards when he does use us, but he can't if we don't have those vessels clean. Now, the last thing is David quickly repented, got that thing right with God, and we see that in Psalm chapter 51. That's also a, a great example of what we need to do when we are in sin. It's not just, well, I sinned, now what do I... I I just got to live with it. Now, we can repent and get it right, but we need to do it quickly so that we can keep those vessels clean so that God can use us. All right, let's pray, and then we'll be dismissed. Father, I thank you for this day you've given us. Thank you again for the chance to open your word and learn these lessons from King David, God, a man after your own heart, but a man that was human, and he made mistakes. 
God, I pray that as he did, we would take care of those mistakes, get them right with you. But God, I also pray that we would keep ourselves as much as we can from sin so we don't have to deal with these consequences like David did. And I pray that you'd help us to be clean vessels, holy and and able to be used by you at a moment's notice uh, and so that we can keep that relationship with you as well. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We're dismissed.